So you're up for a message this morning, church? Cool. So the title of my message is The Greatest Role. Da, da, da. I love it when it just appears like that. Yes, just on the screen, The Greatest Role. Okay, so I believe that there's a desire in each and every one of us to live a great life. We want to live a great life. Whatever we're doing in life, whether it's in work, in family, in church, we want to live a great life. We want to be the best that we possibly can be. We have ambitions. We have desires. We have things that we want to accomplish. And that's good. And we have something within us where we want to be a great person. That people would say about us, they're great in their field. They're great in their marriage. That we want greatness. And there's nothing wrong with wanting greatness because we serve a great God. And he wants greatness for our lives. And we are created in his image. And so therefore, if God is great, we are also called to be great in everything that we are and everything that we do. We want to leave a legacy, don't we? We want to accomplish things. We don't want somebody to say of us, oh, they, they did all right at that. We want somebody to say, that was great. Because there's greatness on the inside of us. But my message this morning is saying as much as we want greatness, which is so good, there is a pathway to greatness. There is a way for us to be really, really great. But in the upside down, flip side of the kingdom of God, it's not in the world's way of being greatness, where it's about self-promotion and it's look at me, I'm the bee's knees, it's me, I'm the great I am, it's all about me and my gift and my calling and who I am. No, not in the world's way of self-promotion, but the pathway to greatness is through servanthood and servanthood is the greatest role. And in order for us to be the greatest version of us that we can possibly be, we're called to live a life of servanthood. And the truth is, serving is not what we do. Servanthood is who we are. We're called to be servants of the Most High God. And it's the greatest role and it's the greatest position that we could ever have to serve God and to serve people, to love God and to love people. And so I've got this message that God has put on my heart to stir us up, to live a life of servanthood in our homes, in our families, in our jobs, in church, in our gifts, in our calling, in every area of our life, we're called to be servants. We are servants of the Most High God. And so I want to stir us up with a message this morning. You see, we have the greatest example of servanthood in Jesus, don't we? I'm going to read to you in Philippians 2, verses 6 to 11. This is talking of Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And they're so powerful. You see, it's talking about the greatness and majesty of Jesus. That There is no name above the name of Jesus. That he was taken on this journey of servanthood, of coming not to be served because he's God 
Jesus with flesh on, he was God. He did not come with, look at me, but he came with, look at me. I have come to serve. I have come to live a life, not of pride, but of humility and of servanthood. To lay down my life so that others could be elevated and lifted up. How amazing is Jesus that he came and all through the scriptures we see his example of bowing down to people. What do you need? What can I do for you? In his humbleness of God in the flesh came to take my place and your place, becoming sin, the one who was without sin, so that therefore I might live forever. That is our mighty Jesus. And he came and he showed us I've come to serve, not to be served. You know, there was an instant in the Bible where Jesus was talking his, to his disciples about his pending death and resurrection as I'm sure you're very familiar with when you look through the scriptures they didn't always get what he was saying they didn't always understand that he would go to the cross and he would die and he would rise again on the third day he tried to tell them but they didn't always understand and there was one particular day when he was speaking to them about his death and resurrection and there's James and John the sons of thunder and they approach Jesus and they're like Jesus, it's us, James and John here. You know, we want to ask you that you will do whatever we ask for you. We, we've got a question for you and we want you to tell us that you will do this. And Jesus says, well, what, it is, what is it that you ask of me? And they say, when you go to your glory, when you've died and you rise again and you're resurrected and you're there in your glory in heaven, can one of us sit on the left and one of us sit on the right because we'll be there because we're a bit better than this bunch I mean, who even is Barnabas? I mean, it's me, James and John. You know, we're the sons of thunder. We want to be at your side, God. Oh, the pride that was there. And what did God, Jesus say? He said, you don't really know what you've asked, guys, but I'll give you a reply. And this is what he replied to them in Mark 10, verses 43 to 45. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And he's saying to them, it's great to want greatness for your life. And it's great to want glory for your life. And it's great to want to be all that you can be. That's a good principle. But first of all, you need to serve others. You need to put others ahead of yourself. You need to serve God and serve people. And he was telling them this, we need to live a life of servanthood, that our core is to serve other people, to go out of our way to serve God and to serve others. Because serving is not something we do, servanthood is who we are. In fact, we'll call ourselves, I am a servant of the most high God. Let's stir ourselves up that, with that this morning. And servanthood does lead to greatness. Because when you're laying your life down and you're choosing to follow God and do it his way and not your way, then it leads to greatness. And we're going to look at a story in the Bible when this happens. So to set the scene, I love to set the scene. I don't know about you, but as I set the scene, I imagine what all the people look like and what they're all wearing. And it'll be totally wrong when I actually meet them one day. But here's the scene. So Elijah, 
Remember him, the prophet to the nations. Elijah was an amazing man of God. And God used him mightily to bring fire down from heaven, to obliterate the prophets of Baal. He saw bread multiplied. He saw oil multiplied. He saw resurrections. He was an amazing man of God. He led his life by listening to God and serving others. Wonderful man. But there was somebody that would succeed Elijah, and his name's Elisha. Good way to remember them. Elijah was first because it's the J, E-L-I-J-A-H. Elisha was second, E-L-I-S-H-A. So I remember it. Elijah, Elisha. So when you're talking about them, I'm bound to get them the wrong way around, people, but you'll get my drift. So God instructed Elijah to go and find the next prophet for Israel, to go and find Elisha. He said, you've got an anointing, you've got your mantle, but you need to pass this on. There's time for somebody else to become the prophet, and you need to hand on the reins to this guy. You need to go and find Elisha. So this is exactly what he did. Elijah went on his way to find Elisha in 1 Kings 19, verse 19. So Elijah went from there, and he found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. So again, to set the scene, Elijah knows he has this anointing and this calling and this gift, and he needs to hand it on to Elisha. So there is Elisha. He's a businessman. He's in the field. He's got a plow of oxen. He's got 12 oxen. He is going about doing a farming job. He is actually on the back of the plow driving the oxen. He had resource. He had a home. He had a family. He had a job. He had dreams and hopes for his life. And then Elijah turns up and literally gets his coat and throws it on him. I mean, imagine that this morning. I walk into church and I get my big yellow coat and chuck it on you. You'd be like, what is she doing? Just imagine that moment. Why, why is this happening? But Elijah was saying to Elisha, this cloak represents my mantle. It represents my anointing. You see, this cloak has been there in the miracles. This cloak hid my face when God showed me his presence on the mountain when I came out the cave. This cloak has been there with me when I've had to deliver the word of God to people that didn't perhaps want to hear it. This cloak has been with me and this represents my mantle. And so I'm putting it on you to say, it's now is your time. This is what ministry feels like. This is what your calling feels like. And there's Elisha. He's got this cloak around him. And then he does something. He decides to follow Elijah. He decides to follow the master. He decides to take up the life of a servant. He decides to leave his business and his family and his resource and his finance. He decides to leave that to follow the call of God on his life. And this is what happens in 1 Kings 19 verses 20 and 21. Elisha then left his oxen and he ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come to you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and he slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and he gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and become his servant. You see, he did something very significant here. Elisha said, okay, I'm going to go and say goodbye to my life this far. I'm going to go and say goodbye to my parents. But then I'm not going to hold on 
to the resource that I have, the oxen and the plow, the things that make me money, the things that brings my income and my food. I'm not going to keep them because I'm going to burn them. I'm going to kill the oxen, which was a bad day for the oxen, unfortunately. But they all got the meat spread out because he was saying, do you know, if I'm going to go where you're calling me to go, if I'm going to be a servant of Elijah and of the Most High God, I need to burn what's happened so far. I need to kiss goodbye. I need to bless the past and say, okay, thank you. It's been great, but where I'm going is going to be greater. Because I have dreams and hopes for my life and I want to leave a life of greatness and I want to leave a legacy and I want to do all that I'm called to do and I have hopes and aspirations. But if I follow your lead, I know those hopes and aspirations will be far greater than if I do it in my own strength and do what I want. But if I do what you want, something miraculous will happen. And so this young man left the familiar. He left the comfort and he decided to go with the prophet and become what? His servant. He decided to serve the man of God, Elisha. And you know, when we pick up the call to follow God, as it says in the word of God, pick up your cross and follow me. We don't keep stuck one foot in the world, one foot following Jesus. We actually leave what's behind us and we step into something new. Okay, this is scary because that's what's familiar and that's what my provision is and that's my resource and that's my family and that's what I know. But I make a decision, God, where you call me to, I will follow you. Where you're asking me to step into, I will go. Because why? Because I'm going to serve you. And I know that when I lay my life down as a servant, that you will elevate me at the right time. You will bring greatness out of my life. But first I have to make that choice to say it's not about me and my desires and my hopes and my dreams. But it's about you and your desires and your hopes and your dreams for my life. And therefore I'll be like Elisha. Burn the plow and step in to the next stage of my life. God is calling us to be servants, guys. His church. Because when we follow him... Do you know, his dreams are bigger than our dreams for our life. In fact, our vision sometimes is too small. God's saying, I've got a bigger vision for you, but step out and follow me. His hopes and aspirations for our life, the gift and talents that he's put down within us, he's going to get a good return on when we choose to follow him by serving him. So Elisha became a servant of Elijah. And you know, we read in the Bible and scholars tell us that for six years, Elisha served Elijah. Not six weeks, not six months, but over six years, he became his servant. So do you know what he did in those six months, six, six years? He, he didn't see, he didn't do the miraculous. He didn't have the word of God to give to the people. He didn't call down fire from heaven. He didn't do any of those things. Do you know what he did? He served Elijah, the man of God. He helped him get up. He helped him get ready. He walked with him from village to village, from town to town. He served him foods, drinks. He helped him. He probably picked up that cloak a few times and helped him put it on. He helped him. He served him. And everywhere he went, he followed the man of God. And every time God used Elijah to do the miraculous, Elisha witnessed it. But he was there serving him. 
Not for six weeks, not for six months, but for six years. And he served and he served and he served and he served and it repeated and it became repetitive. And there was the mundane, there was getting the food, there was washing up, there was putting things away, there was looking after the needs of this man, but he served and he kept serving and he kept serving and he kept serving. But God was doing something in his servanthood that would lead to greatness, but he had to keep serving. But in the world we live in today, we want to release a song after six weeks in the secular world and we want to become a millionaire and the next biggest thing. We want promotion as soon as we've stepped out. We want to be like, it's all about me. We want to film one TikTok video and everybody's going to follow me because it's all about me. But it's not about me, it's about him. And God takes us on the process and the pathway of servanthood as we keep serving, as we keep blessing the Lord, as we keep serving the prophet. You know, what was it like to work alongside Elisha? We know the Bible tell us he had his up and down moments, didn't he? He had great highs and great lows. He had great sadness and great joys. It's quite hard to work with people that are difficult like that. But Elisha chose to stick with Elijah. And the Bible even tells us that there's one particular job that he did for Elijah. And I found this really interesting when I came across this. So I'm going to read it to you in 3 Kings 3 verse 11. And as a bit of history, the king of Moab is about to invade Israel. And all the people of Israel, the kings there are like, well, Elijah's dead now. What are we going to do? Who are we going to turn to? Because Elijah would tell us what God wants us to do. And so in this moment, they're like, well, what are we going to do? We haven't got the prophet. They only heard God through the prophets in the Old Testament times. And so they're like, what are we going to do? And somebody said this, Jehoshaphat said this, well, I know what we need to do. And look what it says in 2 Kings 3, verse 11. But Jehoshaphat asked, Is there no prophet of the Lord here through whom we may inquire of the Lord? An officer of the king of Israel answered, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is here. He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. See, one of his jobs was literally to help Elijah wash his hands. It was to get the bowl out. It was to get the jug and it was to pour the water on the hands of Elijah. No hand gel back there, no baby wipes, done the old-fashioned way. You have to get some sort of brush and scrub at the nails of Elisha, clean his hands up, maybe some anointment, or anointment, you know, hand gel, I don't know. Make them very, very nice. But he used to have to attend Elijah by washing his hands. And he was known for that. But look what the text says. It wasn't like, well, there's Elisha, uh, you know, the great prophet. No, no, there's Elisha, the great servant. But the great servant has been with the great prophet. He's been training. He's been mentored. He's been seeing the power of God. He's been there in the miracles. He's been there in the victories. That is Elisha. So actually, if we go to Elisha and we ask for his direction, he will know because he spent time serving the man of God. You see, his reputation preceded him. His reputation as a servant. Because there were many times when Elijah said to Elisha, and I imagine this quite grumpily, he's on his way and he said, I'm going to Bethel now. And he said to Elisha, you stay here, I'm off to Bethel. He went, no, no, where you go, I will follow. I will go with you. I'm with you. And then he went off to Jericho. And then he went off to um, the Jordan. And he's like, no, no, I'm still here. It's almost like Elijah's like, oh, he's still following me. But he kept following him because he had the heart of a servant. He wanted to serve his master and to serve his God. Wherever he went, he served him for six years. But he did become the next prophet, as we know the story. God took the journey of servanthood 
and it led to a place of greatness. Because what happened when Elijah was going to die? Because as we know, Elijah didn't physically die. He was taken up to heaven. But prior to that, Elisha says, look, I, I want something from you. Uh, there's something I want from you. And we find this in 2 Kings 2, uh, verses 9 to 10. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me, what can I do for you before I'm taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You've asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. So it's coming to the end of Elijah's life and he knew God had spoken to him. And Elisha is like, there's something on you. You see, I've been with you when I've seen the miracles. And I've seen the hand of God and I've seen the word of God. And there's something I want a double portion of what you've got. I mean, that's good. That's some greatness he wanted for his life there. He said, I want a double portion. And so when Elijah was taken up in the chariot to heaven, which must have looked amazing, by the way, what comes down? The cloak. And he picks up that cloak. He says, there, that's a representation of the double portion of the double anointing. And as we know in the word that Elisha went on to do double the amount of miracles that Elijah did. He saw so much more because he'd received that anointing. But he didn't stand there one day, I want to be a prophet to the nations. Bam, there you go. He had a journey of servanthood. He had a journey of following. He had a journey of learning and training and stepping in to greatness at the appropriate time. And what I love so much about the miracles of Elisha is actually the one that he didn't see. And it's the one when he died. You see, he died, he was buried in the ground. And then one day there were some like grave robbery, robbers going around and stuff like there is. And there was a dead body and they threw this dead body in the grave of Elisha, which was now bones. And as soon as the dead body hit Elisha's bones, the dead man got up and walked away from his own funeral. But the amazing thing is that's how anointed the bones of Elisha was. were. That's how much power was still in him. In all that he'd done for God, because there was power in that, so he got up. I mean, imagine that being at a funeral and that happens. That's amazing. But that's the power because he received that double anointing. And the truth is, as we step out in servanthood, as we lay our lives down before God, and we serve God, and we serve people, greatness will come out of our lives. Because now, 2,000 odd years later, or more than that, we are reading about Elisha. We're telling his story. But that day he said, okay, mum and dad, I'm off and I burn the plough. He didn't realise the greatness that would be on his life. But he decided to take a step and take a risk and serve the living God and to serve Elijah. And then amazing things happened with his life. Because serving is not what we do. Servanthood is who we are. And we're called to be servants. So whenever I think about service, I think about restaurants. And I think about the service you receive in a restaurant. Now, hear me, people. We've all got good stories of service in restaurants. And we've all got bad stories, haven't we? Probably coming to mind now, you've gone out for a meal and it's all gone horribly wrong or it's been amazing. I remember one particular um, time, I think I was actually pregnant with Amy. And we'd gone to London for like a baby moon, as you do. And Dan took me to the Ritz Hotel for afternoon tea. And it was incredible. And what was more incredible was the service that these waiters and waitresses gave you. But it's almost like you didn't notice they were there because the minute your water jug was empty, it was refilled. I'd have a cup of tea with a 
proper tea leaves and everything. And as soon as I'd finished my cup of tea, I put it down and a new cup would be there. It was amazing service. It's like there's a program about it on telly and it's just like that. And sort of the bread rolls appear and as soon as you've eaten one, there's another one and the sandwiches and it's just impeccable service. And then I've been in other restaurants where the service has been not so good. And um, I remember one particular day when the children were younger, we'd gone out for dinner and when your children are quite small, there's a few things they like for food and it doesn't go beyond that. There's two or three meals they enjoy. And so we're like, right, we'll have the fish and chips, but oh, it comes with peas. So I said to our waitress, who had the face of, I don't really want to be here in the restaurant, like, cut out your orders. They're like, yeah, yes, you could take our orders. Um, so could we have two of the fish and chips, but rather than peas, the girls would like baked beans. Chef can't do that. Oh, could, could we not have baked beans instead of... No, can't be done, it's peas. Okay, could you just leave the peas off the plate then? No, can't be done, it comes fish, chips and peas. And um, we're like, okay, just, just give us the peas and we'll put them on our plate. And we've had that sort of service. But one particular one which springs to mind is we'd gone out um, for a meal and it was at a pancake house. And there was this waitress, and she was so lovely and so enthusiastic. But it's stuck in our house ever since, and practically every mealtime we use her phrase. So we'd ordered our food, and everything was like, all right, dears. She was so lovely and warm. And as soon as we started to eat our food, she came over and she'd say, is everything all right? And she had, like, this singing voice. Are you all right? Is everything all right? And so we do it every time I put the dinner down. The girl's like, is you all right? And she was so nice, but she just kept appearing. So you'd have one mouthful. By the time you had the second one, suddenly she's, are you all right? I don't know what was in the food, but she obviously thought at some point that it wasn't all right, but it was lovely. And we gave her a tip at the end, as you do. And she's like, I'm all right with my tip. But it was lovely. But I think service leaves an imprint. You know, there's certain restaurants in Colchester. I love their food, but you wait an hour for the starter. I don't love that. And it sticks in your mind. How you are served leaves an impression, doesn't it? And so for us, as men and women of the Most High God, as Christians, we're called to serve well. Does our reputation precede us in service? Are we known as those who serve God well and serve people well? Do people say, oh, yeah, do you know, they'll always step in and help because they've got a servant heart. Look how she serves her husband. She is an amazing wife. Look how she serves those kids at the school. She's an incredible teacher. Does our reputation precede us because we serve each other well? Let's be those that serve unto Jesus. Because actually, whatever we do for a job, whatever we do in church, Whatever we do in our family life, how we serve, we are not serving the boss of the company. We're not serving the pastor of the church. We are not serving the team leader. If we have the attitude that every job that we do, we are serving unto Jesus, we do under him, we do an amazing job. So we, we may, work, may work for a big company, but in fact, we're not working for the title of that company. But if we do our job as though we're working unto Jesus, we go the extra mile. We do it to the best of our ability because we are not serving man, but we are serving God. And God looks to see how we lead our lives and we lead a life of service unto him. 
And Jesus talks to his disciples about this in a parable which is called the sheep and the goats. And he talks about how in the end times he will come and he will separate the sheep, those who follow him, from the goats. And he will say to the sheep, and in the parable he tells his disciples, he says, you know, when I was hungry, you came and you fed me. And when I was thirsty, you came and you brought me a drink. And when I was in prison, you came and you visited me. And the sheep are like, I don't remember when he came for dinner and and I gave him food. I mean, what did I serve? Was it fish, chips, peas, fish, chips, beans? What was it? How was my service? I don't remember that. I don't remember when I gave him a drink. I don't remember when he was in prison. When did I do that? But Jesus says this to them in Matthew 25, verse 40. The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So actually when we serve one another, when we serve the boss at work, when we serve the pastor of the church, when we serve in our connect groups, when we serve our family and our friends, we are serving God. When we send someone that encouraging text, when we bless someone with a bunch of flowers, when we step out of our way to pray and encourage and minister to someone, we are not serving people, but we are serving God. It's unto him. And so when we have that heart of a servant, we don't actually do it like, oh, well, that'll do. You had that thing, oh, that'll do. No, it'll be, that won't do, because I'm serving almighty God when I serve you, so I'm going to do it with excellence. I'm going to do it with a heart that says, I love you, and I love my God, and I'll live my life to the best of my ability by serving you with excellence. Not just the bare minimum, not the turning up late and the leaving early, but God, I'm here for you. That's what a servant does. So how we serve him in the small things? How do we serve in the menial tasks? How do we help wash the prophet's hands? Because if we're too big for the small things, we're too small for the big things. We need to be about the small things. How we make the cup of tea. How we put out the rubbish. I sometimes see my neighbours. They literally like just want to kick it out there. It doesn't matter if the bag splits and it's all down the pathway. But I can't do that. I'm like, no, I've got to put my rubbish out unto Jesus. I'm going to tie it up and I'm going to recycle in the name of the Lord because it's a good principle to have. How we serve matters. And you know, sometimes we serve without recognition. Sometimes we serve and we think, well, nobody ever sees this, but God sees it. Do you know the most important parts of our body, the most important organs in our body we don't see? Can you see my heart this morning? Can you see my liver? No, but I'd be in big trouble if I didn't have them within me operating and working. And sometimes the jobs that we don't see, sometimes the platform that we're not on is where God sees and he recognizes and he will reward at the right time. Can I remind us of those, that time when we will meet Jesus? He will not say, well done, good and faithful prophet. Well done, good and faithful host team member. Well done, good and faithful dad, good and faithful mum. No, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant, because we're all called to serve the King of kings and Lord of lords, and what a privilege that is to serve him. For all that he has done for me, what can I do for him? Our service is for God. It's not always public, but God always knows. How you serve in your home, how you serve your children, how you're praying and encouraging people, not everyone sees it, but God sees it, recognizes it, and he will reward it. But I just wanted to 
today, there's some examples of great servanthood in this church. I want to say people serve amazingly in this church. I want to thank you for all those that serve here. And some of it is seen and some of it's not seen. But when I prepared this, there were two people that God put on my heart to just say, well done for how you've served. And they're not even here today because they're both unwell. <laughs> but there's two people. And the first person is Emily Brooke. Do you know, Emily has served on our children's ministries for many, many years. But there's something about Emily. She's often on serving on kids week after week. Doesn't always get to come into the service. But you know what? She has never once complained about that. And I see her at the end of every service and she comes down the corridor and she's always got the biggest smile on her face. She's like, oh, it's brilliant in kids today and we did this and the kids responded with this and then we prayed and she's always excited to tell you what's happened. She's never once said, oh, if only I could have a week off. It's all about my week off. I need to hear the message. And she might feel that, but she never shows that. But I don't think she does because her heart is, I'm serving these kids. And she has done this for many years. And so I want to say, well done, Emily, for your servant heart to serve the children. And as I said, I might not mention your name today, but God sees you and he will reward you. But the other person is Madge. And Madge has been amazing as serving as part of the setup team and pack down team. But there's something about Madge. You know, there's 160 chairs that go out each week. And he is one of the people that diligently piles all the chairs out of the unit into the church, puts them all out, and at the end, puts them all back. But every time you see Madge, he's smiling. He's singing. He's putting them on the, on the trolley. Off he goes. He's got a little step, you know, joy in his step. There he goes. He's always got a hanky at the ready because he's proper sweating from lifting all the chairs and moving out all the stuff out of the shed. Love you, Madge. But he serves with such passion and he's always one of the first people here and the last people home. And that's the heart of a servant. So thank you for serving. And thank you to everybody else for all that you do for your families, for your work, for your friends, for your God, and for this house, because God sees it. Do you know, somebody is always following your example. There are people in the church who see how you serve on a Sunday. In your family, your children see how you serve, husbands and wives, relatives. People in your job see how you serve. Cut corners or go the extra mile. It all shows. And when we point the way that we're doing this for Jesus, it matters. It matters how we serve. You don't realize, but God is using you to inspire someone else. The call, the gift, the ministry he's given you. Someone else is watching, saying, oh, I want some of that. You know, I could get a bit of that double portion. And you say, yes, come on this journey of servanthood so that you then can be used for greatness in your life, for the glory of your God. Amen. So again, I'm back to the example of Jesus as our greatest servant. And this stirs me, particularly as we're moving up to celebrating Easter in a couple of weeks. But I want to share with you a story of how Jesus demonstrated the amazingness of how he laid down his life to serve us. And so this is just before Passover. And Jesus has invited the disciples to come to an upper room for what would be known as the Last Supper. The First Communion became the Last Supper. And he called the 12 together and he said, come and have a meal with me. I want to share some things with you. And so there was Jesus at the meal with all the disciples. And there's four accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John of the Last Supper. And I encourage you to read all four because you get such a diverse picture of what happened. And in Luke's gospel, it tells us that as they sat round the table and they're about to listen to Jesus, an argument broke out amongst the disciples. 
of who is the greatest. They're sitting there with Jesus. They start arguing. Well, I'm better than you, Peter. No, you didn't walk on the water. No, I'm better than you. This is ad-libbing because I don't really know what was said. But they argued about who was better. Well, what about you? And then there was Judas there, the one who would betray Jesus, invited to this meal. And they're arguing with the Son of God, the Lamb of God there, who is the greatest. And so you know what Jesus did? He looks around and he sees proud hearts. And he looks down and he sees dirty feet. Because tradition back then was when you would go to somebody's house for dinner, a servant would come and they would wash your feet. They wore sandals in that time. There was the dirt of the road. There was the dust. Remember the desert storm a few weeks ago that we got? That thick dust would be over their feet. Their feet would be filthy and dirty. And the idea was when you came to somebody's house, you would come in, the host would welcome you, and then the servant, the lowest person in the house, would come and would wash your feet so you're ready for the meal. But Jesus, the greatest person in the house, said there's proud hearts here, but I'm gonna show you a principle. You see, to be the greatest, you need to get down on your knees and you need to wash some feet. And so Jesus, the son of God, wrapped a towel around his waist, started to get the water from the jugs, and he started to wash his disciples' feet, to wash away the dirt of the day. And this was so scandalous, because culture would say, but you're the host of the house, how can you do it? Even Peter said, no, no, Saviour, you can't wash my feet. But Jesus was showing them a principle, that actually, I'm here to serve you. The Son of God, our Redeemer, the King of Kings, the light of the world, the vine, the true God, the Lamb of God, the righteous judge, the living stone, the King of Kings, the glorious one, the majesty, the King of heaven, bent down and said, I'll wash your feet. I'll get the dirt off. I'll cleanse you. I will do the lowest job to show you that actually the job of the servant is the greatest job because you wash away the stuff in people's lives. And for us, I think it's time we need to get the bowl. We need to be about washing some people's feet. We need to say, okay, it's not about me and my pride and my ministry and my calling and who I am, but it's about you. And I will get the bowl. And just like Elisha serving Elijah, I'll wash away some dirt in your life. I'll follow the example of my Savior and say, I'll help you. I'll encourage you. I'll pray for you. I'll stand with you. I'll be there. I will serve in my home and I will serve in a team at church and I'll be about the Father's business. And he's called us to be just like Jesus did, to serve one another. And I know there's so many people in this church who are serving one another so amazingly. There's so much encouragement, that phone call, that text, that meeting up with someone just to spur them on, that we can be Jesus' hands and feet. We can encourage each other and outside the walls of the church. So let's be stirred this morning, church, that our greatest role is to serve God and to serve people. And that's where it leads to greatness, when we serve God and we serve people.
when he'd washed the disciples' feet in John 13, verse 14, this is what Jesus said to his disciples. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. And that's my encouragement today for us, church. Let's get washing some feet because that's when we'll see greatness. That's when we see the glory of God move in people's lives when we get about some business. We get to the dirty stuff. We get about that and we help one another to be elevated. And then we will have the opportunity of one day of Jesus saying to us individually, well done, good and faithful servant. If I could ask you to stand, I'd love to pray with you this morning. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we want to thank you for the sacrifice that you made, that you died so that we might live, that you took all our sin and all our shame and all that would hold us from eternity and relationship with God. And you took our place and we're grateful for that this morning. We say thank you, Jesus for what you did for us. We thank you for your example all through your word of how you serve God and you serve people. And I want to pray right now, Father, that through this message that you would just be stirring hearts and touching hearts this morning to know that the greatest role we could ever have is to serve you, God, and to serve people. That you would stir within our hearts to be servants of the Most High God. What a title to have, that we are your servants, that we are your hands and feet in this time that you would stir us up, Lord God, to, to see the faces of those we need to reach, to pray with those that need prayer, that need to be set free, that you would show us the people on this estate, in this community, in this world that need you, Lord God, and we would willingly choose to be your hands and feet, that we would get down on our knees in all humility, and we'd get the bowl out, and we'd start to wash some feet. That you'd stir us up today, Lord. Father, I want to pray by your Holy Spirit that you just freshly anoint every servant in this room, everyone who calls you Lord, that they would know that they are commissioned to go out and to serve your purposes on this earth, that every gift and every talent and everything you've put within each of us, that we will use to glorify you, Lord God, that we make a choice to say, here I am, God, send me that we would serve with such an attitude that is of excellence, that I will do my best in every situation to honour my God. We thank you, Servant King. We thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace and all that you've done for us. And we thank you that we can now worship you. As we come to worship, Lord God, do, do your work, Holy Spirit. Come and stir us up, Father. Lord, where we've not served well, Lord, Give us that encouragement. It's time to go again. Come on, we can stir us up again. Jesus, we were one foot in the world and one foot in your kingdom. I pray we burn the plow and we'd step and follow you, Lord. Jesus. But we thank you, Lord, for all you've done today and we want to praise you now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.